Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to KZYX. This is Chris Skyhawk with Universal Perspectives. As many of you know, I have been doing a series called Surviving Late-Stage Capitalism, What's Next? I have a very wonderful guest tonight. We're going to look at, at paradigms we might shape with what's after late-stage capitalism. My guest today is Alex Moore. Hello, Alex. Hi, Chris. Thanks for having me on. I'm so glad you could be here. What would you like our listeners in Mendocino County to know about you? Well, um, <laughs> I'm a nice person. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's always my first point. <laughs> um, and uh, let's see, I have three kids. I have been a teacher here in Sonoma County for several years. And um, I now uh, coach for youth, parent, and families, but I also do this coaching in general. Um, I'm a dancer. I've been a dancer, I think, since forever. Um, so dance is near and dear to my heart. I think that's how you and I connected. And um, I, I really, I'm really excited to see what comes out of today's talking. <laughs> yes, well, our mutual friend Taylor Lamson, hello Taylor, if you're listening, uh, that's, our, that's our mutual connection there, it was Taylor. He was on the show with me about, I think, about three months ago. And we were talking about grief and emotional healing and spiritual healing and and looking at different things that we could shape in these very difficult times. I love the opening song, the, dead, the Ghost of a Chance song, because even in the darkest of times, there's a seed of hope, even in the darkest times. Now, I also know that you do some uh, grief ritual work. Would you care to talk to our audience about that a little bit? Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, in fact, I just did a grief ritual with Taylor this last weekend. It was it was very healing, very powerful for everybody involved. Um, it was it's a grief ritual for anybody who's never heard of that before. Is a space, um, a time, and a place, and a space to offer to people where uh, they can experience their grief and fully. Um, to the fullest extent that they're able to. It's a safe place and a place where you you have people who know how to sit with grief, hold grief, and help it move through to what comes next. Um, and my role in the ritual was the, was um, creating a sacred space um, and really opening the portal to helping to open the portal of course it's group effort <laughs> but opening the portal to create the container for the grief to come come in come through and um move through the participants could you could you be a little more uh descriptive of what you what do you mean when we say you set up sacred space can you educate our listeners a little more more about that please all right well um we in in my work, I worked as a, I worked, I'm sorry, I trained as a priestess in um, kind of a more modern priestess lineage, um, the Rose Priestess Temple. And so my part of setting a sacred space, um, I was calling in the um, ancestors, calling in the directions, calling in those who, uh, and the energies, the, the thoughts, the prayers, 
the goodwill of those who support us uh, to hold the space that we're in and the time that we are together um, safely. So in this case, we did set the directions and called in the ancestors. Um, I uh, helped everybody ground by doing um, kind of a sound bath with a Tibetan, big Tibetan sound bowl. And um, let's see, we it, it's really about landing in the present moment. Um, so creating a space where we can drop away from the distractions that often come with our everyday lives um, by coming present, doing a visualization perhaps of grounding into the earth, connecting to earth energy, grounding up as well to the cosmos. I guess that's not grounding, skying to the cosmos. Right. <laughs> and recognizing our, our connection to earth and sky, um, where we can source not only our, our personal strengths and our own bodies, but also beyond our own bodies, beyond um, what we walk around with every day. I think we, in those spaces and with these rituals, we expand our energy body and our awareness to spaces beyond our physical body. What called you into in, into doing this work? Ooh. <laughs> Way back in the beginning, um, let's see. Honestly, I would say um, my own trauma called me into this work, healing my own trauma and really my need to function um, in this world. And... Uh, it started that is where my journey to towards where i am now began was just realizing that i needed to heal my own trauma which started me on a path of seeking um many different spiritual lineages that kind of have a i call it a toolkit of um, different pieces that i've used through my years of healing um, and I found that, you know, I did talk therapy for many years and that played its role. Um, but as my healing progressed, I recognized there's only so much I could talk about my trauma and I needed a deeper healing, a healing beyond, um, where I could go with my rational mind, with my intellect with my prefrontal cortex and so i started to i was a traveling at the time um i went to things like rainbow gatherings and participated in different rituals and because i had small children i wasn't actually in kind of in the drug culture which um, was i think just a different experience than a lot of people i had around me uh, and i tapped into my own healing energy mm -hmm. and, and power that i have and what in the rituals that you conduct now with Taylor and other people, what do you observe the effects of for people? Give us a before and after kind of thing, maybe. <laughs> well, I see oftentimes when people come into a space, of course, 
Oftentimes they don't know anybody else. They're walking in kind of as a stranger. Some people have done ritual before and some people haven't. Um, what I see shifts when ritual is introduced um, or when I'm doing my work is I see a, a relaxing. I see an, an opening, a letting go, and kind of a feeling like a softening. Um, I want to say where maybe people feel like they are connecting with something more than just themselves. They're connecting with those they have right around them. They're connecting with the earth um, and the earth energy. They're connecting with um, spirit. They're connecting maybe with their higher self, we might say, or with a, a bigger consciousness than just their own. And ritual space kind of opens the doors for that, I would say. It allows for a, a connection beyond just our mundane, um, what we see in front of us kind of connection. I will, I will chip in one of my own observations here is that the Western mind, because of the monotheism that we, we trained in and the, and the capitalist structure, it's very linear and boxed. It's very clear, like this belongs here, this belongs there. Very, very difficult to get fluidity between these, all these different parts of ourselves. And I think sometimes we really need a ritual structure so it can be fluid again. And <clears throat> I've, uh, I'll tell you all some of my own experiences in, in the, in some, I've experienced these grief rituals a couple of times, and I'll tell you what, I remember one time as I approached the altar, and all of a sudden someone was on the ground, he was screaming, I'm literally screaming, and it took me a while to realize it was me. <laughs> I literally said, dude, I think that's you. <laughs> yeah, I, had a, I have an adopted son, he's in the 30s now, and... I hadn't heard from him for a long time, and it was—I didn't even know I was still carrying it. Mm. I was moving on with my life. I had my twins; they were newborns, and I just had to let it go. And then that ritual said, "Oh, guess what? This is not gone at all." But when I was done, there was like a, at least a fifty-pound weight that I didn't even know I was carrying that wasn't on me anymore. It was just gone. It was like fifty pounds later. At least 50. <laughs> I still laugh at that because I'm literally on the ground. I hear somebody screaming at first. I don't know who it is. I'm like, oh, I think that's me. <laughs> well, congratulations on losing the 50-pound weight. Yeah. Yeah. And grief is like an onion. You know, we deal with it at layers. Yeah. Uh, and I'll tell have... you what. I never did that in a therapist's office for sure. <laughs> I have yeah, had, I've had some good therapists and been able to talk about things, but I never end up on the floor screaming like that. <laughs> yeah, and, and how quickly that you can access that when you're in a kind of a space where that's, you know, it's allowed and included and permitted anything that comes up. When you're told that and you're given that permission to go there, um, so much opens up that can that has a harder time sometimes opening up in a one-on-one -on -one or in you know in different spaces it, it really is almost the ritual that carries you um the energy of the others who are, are experiencing their own grief um helps to carry you closer to yours and you have the sacred space and this permission to feel fully what you need to feel 
to pass through to the other side. Yeah. Also, yeah. I'm interested in the talking about ritual as a, as an antidote to the poison of Western civilization, Western the Western mind, and breaking down those barriers and and get us in a circular relationship, which we were supposed to be with this planet. We're supposed to be in a circular relationship, not a linear one. And I'm just curious if you have any thoughts about that. Would you like to say more than I did? Yeah, well, I think it goes back to that what I was saying, you know, where it connects you to the bigger and to the whole. So absolutely, you're connecting beyond to something that's happening beyond your own physical body or beyond uh, your house or beyond your town, beyond society, um, beyond human. You're connecting into a bigger source. And so, yeah, it's um, it's you know, you're going to universal truths, you're going to, um, yeah, a space beyond time, a space beyond the space that we, in our rational minds, really know, um, and accessing and allowing yourself to drop in there and, um, and be there, which I think makes it, it, that space expand and become more real. I mean, the more of us who participate in ritual and participate in our in exploring our own depths and our own selves and healing all of the the wounding that's gone on the more we're healing ourselves our families our society our planet and we're sending out all you know love really I mean, it sounds corny <laughs> it's true that's how i see it uh and we're we're really starting to reach that. Gosh, it sounds so great. Hmm. But the vibration, <laughs> the love field, the field of love, and and you know that's I think where we're all walking ourselves home to. We look at what. Um, <clears throat> let's take a look at in, in indigenous cultures that have been around the planet. They've always they've always had these rituals built into their their social structure, and when capitalism came along. And monotheism, they took that away. They said, there's one God, there's one king, there's one queen, and mm -hmm. God owns your soul. You can end up in heaven or hell, depending on how you behave according to his rules. And it put a lot of fear into people. Yeah. I think my own theory, I'll inject my own theory here for a moment, this is why the planet is suffering so badly, because of this fear that got planted in the human, human spirit, in the mm -hmm. human mind's. And it's so, this idea of sep yeah, separate, that we are separate from each other, that we're separate from God, that we're separate from the earth, uh, and that creates suffering. I mean, if you look throughout time, I, how did they punish people? What was the worst punishment they could give somebody? It was to ostracize them, to kick them out of the tribe, to, um, you know, the scarlet letter. <laughs> um, that's the worst punishment was, is to be considered separate and uh, yeah a religion came in that honored the idea of separate a society was built that honors the individual and the separateness and <clears throat> that has created um you know the nuclear family it's all about separation which is backwards it's <laughs> just kind of human nature you know yes um and i think capitalism falls right in there you know, it's the dog-eat-dog -dog 
world and um there are many things that it has served but it, it definitely uh feeds into this the idea of separate of separateness uh -huh. and separation which it has fear lurking right behind and i think ritual brings us back into tribe brings us back into connection reminds us that we are all connected by a higher with a higher whatever you want to call it you know if you want if it's a religious term or a, whatever you want to call it but it it's a reminder that there are universal truths it's a reminder of the goodness mm. I, I know ritual i think has kind of gotten a bad name for itself with cults and some other unhealthy practices which is unfortunate but normal of course, the good comes with the bad, and things can always be taken to extreme. But I, I do want to reiterate that when I speak of ritual, there it's very much um, for me. When I hold ritual, everybody is free to interpret the words I say and what I'm doing as as works for them to connect to their higher self and to the higher good of being if that makes sense um, i don't feel like i have a doctrine of how people need to do it i have some techniques that help people connect in um and i haven't had any complaints so far <laughs> or anybody telling me i'm doing something wrong so I, I think what i've learned and and how i hold space has been beneficial um, well i think that um also just to tag on to what you're saying here is that if you look at Western civilization and how it developed, when you're born, you're you're told, well, you have to go through a priest or a nun or a pope to get this, to understand your relationship to God. There's always a, a intermediary in this a hierarchical person. Hierarchical person, you know, there's you have to you go confess your sins to the priest, and uh, you go to church every Sunday. Tell God how much you love him, but please don't smite me, you know, kind of thing. And <laughs> and you don't get to you don't get to look at the Bible and decide what it says. The priest is the one that will tell you. And obviously the, the above the priest is the Pope and the bishop, all those guys, they will tell you what, what's in that book. There's yeah. not room for an individual to say, Hmm, what's my relationship to this creation? They, yeah, there's, they there put is, that in between. They they they're separate right there. Yes, yeah, and the church has definitely created that. I feel like even in the Catholic Church or in the, in the Christian religion, you know, I think that even that, luckily, in the more modern church, it seems to be they're stop, they're stopping that idea. You know, I, I know for centuries it was to get to God, you have to go through me. Yeah, I'm the gatekeeper to God. Um, I was, you know. If if you want something, go through me. That we had all of the right. The yeah, I know. I know that some of the sharp edges are getting smoothed off, which is good. Yeah, definitely. And and people are really, really starting to realize. I mean, even the most stout Christians are starting to realize that they can have a direct connection to God. They're you know they can have you know whatever connection to God they want directly without having to have a pastor or a priest in the middle. And I say that and I, I apologize i'm not steeped in religious um 
studies of how things are exactly, but I've just noticed that speaking to people who are uh, in the Christian church, and it just seems to be coming down to earth to me. It's like, oh, okay, now, <laughs> now we can have this conversation. Yeah, it's, 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 it's definitely, <clears throat> I was born and raised as a Catholic, and it has definitely softened. It has it has softened. I know that in my family and and people that I interact with, there was definitely a softening of it. It's not so fire and brimstone as it used to be. Yeah, but it had to catch up with the times. <laughs> yeah, but we have we had that for several centuries. So I think it'll take a while to work it out of our gene pool and spiritual spiritual field. And we have a lot of work ahead of us. In other words, That's which true. which brings me to dance. Let's talk about dance. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I know you do. You do. Uh, well, tell tell us what you, some of the dance workshops you lead and are part of. Well, um, I, nowadays I've been really involved with ecstatic dance, and we have an ecstatic dance uh, every two weeks, first and third Fridays here in Sebastopol. And I'm so excited that you're going to be starting your own ecstatic dance up in Fort Bragg. Yes, we that, are. You know, you peoples up there get to have have it at your fingertips, and I'm so excited that uh, you're about the DJ that you're getting, Devin, who's an awesome human being, and um, great music. I, I'm just really excited. I'm so sorry I can't make it for that. Um, ecstatic dance is uh, it's a dance practice, is what it it feels like and oftentimes we used to do it on sunday mornings and it felt like going to church it was kind of like dance church and an opportunity to come into connection with with i want to say i'm going to speak for myself for me it was coming into connection with my divine through my body and physical movement um, I, in my, my physicality, I oftentimes will store stress or tension in different parts of my body and to get it out, uh, you know, yoga is great. All those things are great, but sometimes I just got to move. I just have to shake. I have to stomp. I have to flail. I have to move it through the tissues in my body for it to be released. And ecstatic dance is awesome because there's no form to it. You know, you can't do anything wrong. You can stand totally still and if that's what you need in that moment you're doing it right you can jump up and dance for you and you might have one person standing totally still and you're doing jumping jacks next to them and that is perfect that's exactly what you need um everybody has their own movement everybody has their way of moving emotion energy um, thoughts through their bodies and ecstatic dance gives us it's like a ritual space to do that a safe place that has a container um, of uh, consent of uh, really being in your own practice um, yeah, of silence we don't talk on the dance floor it is not social hour no no drugs it's a sober event so no drinking no smoking i can't say that always happens but our the rule is or the general rule of thumb is that it is a sober event and you show up for yourself um, you're showing up to move through whatever needs to move and the progression of it is the music usually starts kind of slow so you can get in tune with yourself and find that space sometimes we can offer um, a 
like a meditation at the beginning, um, speaking your intentions at the beginning, what do you want to get out of this dance? And starting from there, the music starts slow and progressively gets faster and faster. Hence, the kind of the term ecstatic dance, you can, you can get to the state of feeling ecstatic, an ecstatic feeling because you're releasing, you're in the flow of the music. Um, does it happen every time? Probably not, maybe. Um, but do you release and do you find healing in it? For me, absolutely. I, I, I find a lot of healing in moving my body how I need to. And I love having a space where that's accepted and nobody's judging me. And if they are, I'm not, I don't care. <laughs> I don't see it. And <laughs> I'm in my own space. Oftentimes, most people are dancing with their eyes closed. We're not looking at each other. It's not a nightclub where we're looking and judging each other. And you know, sometimes you'll look around and you'll mimic a movement near you because it catches your eye, but there's no judgment in that. It's just like, thank you for showing me that new way to move my body. I hadn't thought of that before. And it can be playful. You know, sometimes if you do want to engage with another person, you know, you ask their permission and you get their consent and you can engage with somebody else on the dance floor. But a lot of people have their eyes closed and want to be in their own space. Um, but it doesn't mean that you can't engage with other people. It's just important that you ask for their consent first and get clear consent. You know, in consent world, we say, you know, no is no, maybe is no, and yes is yes. But you have to kind of get like that, yeah, yes, you know, <laughs> not just kind of like an okay, yeah, fine, yes. You know, yes is the only consent that exists. So, you know, with that in mind, and those are universal, you know, I want to say truths across the dance floor, it really creates a beautiful, um, open, non-judgmental place to express yourself with your physicality. I find for me, I can unify my contradictions on dance floor that I can't I'll back up just a little bit. Originally, this show, I wanted to cover lithium mining. The more I dig into learning about lithium mining, the more I realize we are being sold a total bag of goods with these electric cars with this lithium mining. It's really horrendous on the environment, and I could go on and on. I, I, I thought I had a guest lined up for that, but they couldn't come out, so I, I came to you. And, but it drives me nuts knowing more and more the truth of this lithium mining that people are buying into as something that will save the planet. And just those contradictions, they drive me nuts. I sit at home, I can pull my hair out. <laughs> but mm -hmm. if I dance and I sing, then I can calm my body down again. <laughs> I say, okay, so is lithium mining. Okay, it's time for dinner or <laughs> whatever. <laughs> but, but yeah, it just sometimes you just have to move. You just have to sing. You have to pray. You have to move, just to be okay again. Because the contradictions of this world, they will drive you insane. And some people do get driven insane by them. Absolutely, yes. And I thank you for bringing that up, and thank you for bringing consciousness to that conversation. I personally want to learn more. I don't know a lot about it, and you you are bringing my consciousness to it. I'm going to read more about it because it, it's very interesting. I was going to say, wow, what could be more different? <laughs> like the mining and talking about ritual and dance. But right. it's all, in Italian we say, tutto fa brodo, and that means it all makes broth. 
<laughs> it all makes froth. It's all part of the same conversation. Um, and I, I appreciate how you tied those together because, yeah, you're right. It's, it is, there's so much paradox. And actually, you know, dance therapy, if we want to call it that way, call it that, um, is, has been going on forever and today. That I know one tradition I know of is, um, comes from southern Italy. Um, they have a tradition with the tarantella and the pizzica. Um, I speak about that because it's very near and dear to my house and my heart because I, I lived there for so long. And um, they use dance there to heal um, tarantula stings or bites. Um, originally, what would happen is the men and women would work in the field and the tarantulas lived in the wheat. And people would get stung or bitten by the tarantulas and it would create kind of like an adrenaline in their bodies and they would twitch and writhe and they would go crazy mentally because they didn't have any way to release this adrenaline from their bodies. And so they would get even sicker because they would have this adrenaline. So they started playing uh, these hand drums called uh, tamborello and they play them really fast. Like a jig, and people could actually start moving their bodies to the rhythm. So they had all, something to do with this adrenaline that was pumping through their bodies. And they, they have videos or rather no footage of, and pictures of people just writhing around on the floor under the furniture and people playing this music, um, you know, kind of this drum beat. So, you know, for hours until the venom worked its way through the system. That kind of was then transformed into uh, this other, it's still called the pizzica, and it's a more, a little more of a cultural dance, which became kind of a mating ritual. But I had an idea um, that that was actually also a way for very frustrated women who were not allowed out of their house to get their frustrations out. And they could just say that they had been bitten by a tarantula. <laughs> they would be taken to the you know, curandera of southern italy who would play the music and they would get to arrive and take out the frustrations of the paradox of their lives where here they were shut in the house they couldn't see anybody except for their family members and i mean the amount of um you know, frustration that they had they that was the only acceptable way for them to process it they probably they probably went and picked up tarantula to put it on their arm and say, "Hey, bite me!" I <laughs> need to get out of the house. <laughs> yeah, well, luckily, you know, we can do that now, and we don't need a tarantula. It's actually okay if we ride around on the floor. <laughs> All right, <laughs> we don't need an excuse anymore. <laughs> yes, well, we won't have tarantulas at our event on Saturday. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank okay. you. That's so <laughs> No tarantulas were harmed in this conversation. Right. It'll be an alcohol and drug and tarantula-free zone. <laughs> we're going to start putting that on our signs. It needs to be said. Yeah. I want to tack back a little bit more to the, uh, to the idea of separation that we were talking about a while ago. It's, it seems to me, I look at the, this country, America, how it developed, and... You know, it seems to me like basically you took people from Europe who were very poor and very desperate, and they told them, "Well, you could have you could have land in America. It'll be all yours. You have your own place." You know, so again, it's like separation. Mm -hmm. This uh, this idea, this could be yours, 
it divided up the earth into lots and properties and lines and boundaries and stuff like that. Now, we're, we just accept this because we're trained this in school. They get show, show you maps with lines on them. They say, that's this state, this, this country is over here, this country's over there. There's a city over here. You know, all these lines chop things up all the time. And it seems to me it's a real disservice to our, to our humanity. And uh, if you have any more follow-up thoughts about that, I'm willing to hear them. <laughs> well, definitely, you know, I know a lot of people thought that the United States actually looked like, you know, the what if you look at a, at a cutout of the United States, that that was like a piece of land alone, not realizing that Mexico, there isn't actually a line or a cutoff where Mexico begins or a line and a cutoff where Canada begins. Um, and when we refer to North America, um, we are referring to Canada and the United States. The idea for a lot of Americans is that North America is the United States. And because the other one is Canada. Well, that's North America, too. There's a lot of emphasis put on boundaries. And I think that that happens a lot here. In, for Americans here in the United States. Um, we're, I think, yeah, we are kind of indoctrinated and really taught how separate and how different and superior we are as Americans um, here in the States. And I have to say my that was something that I learned very quickly. And even as Californians, honestly, I moved to Michigan for university and I remember getting to Michigan and realizing, wow, Michigan's kind of a cool place too. You know, California isn't necessarily, you know, as superior as, you know, it <laughs> felt like I had been told. But then moving out of the States and living around the world for, as uh, at the beginning, I, I really saw how separate the United States and America has held itself from the rest of the world. There is kind of like this big barrier of, superiority and I think that bubble burst um, some got the message and some didn't but um, I when I first moved to Italy for example everybody loved Americans we we were still the ones that had saved Italy from Hitler and from the war and got, you know gotten the Germans out but um, down the road you know as politics evolved over the last 20 30 years, um, Americans really lost a lot of face, I want to say, you know, due to our choice in politics. Um, and we unfortunately, you know, were kind of laughed at around the world. And um, for good reason. Um, I know that there's there's a lot to say on this. And I, I, I don't want to get turned into a political conversation. But um, it's it's what what really comes back to me, and, and my son is seeing this now as well. Is just how America, for some reason, and I don't want to say all Americans by any means, because I'm American and I grew up here, and I you know, we all have our different views. But for some reason, we're kind of being laughed at in the world, and they know the rest of the world seems to know that we we find ourselves superior, like we consider ourselves superior and separate from the rest of the world. And so many in the rest of the world are just kind of looking at us like, well, who are you? You know, just because you're over there, you know, pretty far from what's true, the, the other continents. But we're all in this together. And that's a feeling 
you know, this, the, the feeling of we're all in this together is much stronger in other cultures than it is here. And it started, you know, in those times perhaps that you were talking about, you know, go, go to America and get your own separate plot of land and make your fortune, the American dream. Um, and it's still somewhat alive. It's true. Um, and you're right. It's almost, it's a disease of separation of considering yourself separate from the rest of the world. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. I'm going to um, just give out a phone number, phone numbers if people want to join the conversation here. If you would like to join this conversation, this is Chris Skyhawk. My guest today is Alex Moore. If you would like to join us, give us a call, 707-895-2448. And we'll bring you on the air with us. I wanted to talk to you a little bit more. Um, last month, my guest was a Lakota man. I... <clears throat> His last name is Ghost Horse. I'm going to mess up his first name, so I won't try. But we talked a lot about language. He is, he's really examined language. He had a lot of knowledge about indigenous language and, and compared that to English language. And we talked about how the English language really parses things up. It dissects it. Everything is dissected in the English language. You have a subject, you have a predicate, you have a verb, you have a noun, et cetera, et cetera. So it's always like cause, effect, cause, effect. And I'm curious to hear your thoughts about how dance and ritual get us out of line, out of the linear mind, and back into the circular one. Well, once again, I'll go back to the idea that when we are in ritual, which includes dance, as dance can also be used as a ritual, we're accessing a part of ourselves, our minds, our energetic bodies, our consciousness, all of it, that's beyond our conscious, analytical thinking mind. And that connects us, I think, because there aren't as uh, many delineations in the non-rational world, um, it connects us automatically to a bigger energy body, connects us to the earth, um, it connects us to those around us, it connects us to kind of a higher thinking. You know, I, I always kind of thought of the internet iCloud that there is as being kind of a technological version of this universal consciousness that exists that we can tap into um, if we soften and allow ourselves to access it. And I think going into ritual space in kind of a trance mode or a very deep relaxation mode, I mean, trance mode is really just a deep relaxation state. Um, we, we soften and we open up to other awarenesses that we do have total access to. Um, they're, they're doing so many more studies and they're starting to do studies with, uh, you know, with substances that you can access them using substances. But I say, you know, you can also access them using dance, um, meditation, um, ritual is a portal. And if it is the right ritual for you, you know, that really helps you drop into a deeper 
state of relaxation, you can access this more circular, if you want to call it circular knowing. Um, and I love this idea of the language piece because that's a very cerebral language. Um, English is very cerebral. Um, you know, like Italian is, they consider it the heart language. You speak from your heart and even the words, they end with vowel sounds. They end and a lot of them start with vowel sounds. So they kind of connect together and it sounds very musical. And when you speak Italian, it's great to get angry in because it just is like flow, the anger, just like the emotions flow into your words and through you. And it's a great release. Um, whereas English um, is... It is very staccato, and staccato means um, detached. Uh, the da da beat, you know, it's in music. Um, and yeah, English has a very kind of detached sound, and it's interesting to think about it like that. It's also creating separation in our thoughts, and um, that ripples out. That it's a ripple effect. That's really cool. I'll think about that even more. Thank okay, you. Okay, you bet. <laughs> You're welcome. It's, excuse me. At this point, I'm wondering if you would. I can, can imagine that some of our listeners might be wondering where, what kind of resources might be available to them to explore these areas more. Do you have any suggestions for people? Um. Well. Oh gosh, we have this amazing tool at our fingertips these days called the internet. <laughs> you can find out just about everything, be it true or false. Um, so that's always a good place. Um, but I would always recommend look up local resources. If you want to find out more about rituals, go to a ritual. Attend one that interests you. You know, if you are interested in movement and dance, find a dance near you. And there's ecstatic dance, there's authentic movement, there's all sorts of uh, movement opportunities available. I would say you're you know, maybe in a modern dance class or a tap class or ballet class, you might not quite find the same essence, but um, any of these, especially up here in Northern California, we have a lot of um, opportunities to explore. Um, Santa Rosa, well, Santa Rosa, I don't know, but of course, down in Marin, there are a lot of dances, Sebastopol, might be the dance that spurred this no north until now because you're starting one in Fort Bragg, um, which is this Saturday, the 11th. Yes. This, is this Saturday at 7 o'clock at the Sea Star Studio in Fort Bragg. That's awesome. Yeah, I'll tell, tell people a little more at the end of the show about that. Awesome. So that's an excellent opportunity that's local and close by. I would say if you see anything like a brief ritual being offered, um, in Sebastopol, there's a wonderful place called the Soft Medicine Sanctuary, and they're offering all sorts of ceremonial um, works, uh, from breath work to yoga to um, emotional resiliency workshops. They ha they just have it going on right now. It's kind of this new space that just opened up, and I'm overly impressed. I'm so proud of what they've created there. It's really, really awesome. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. What is it they created there? Say this, say this again. What's the name of the place? Soft Medicine Sanctuary. It's in downtown Sebastopol. And it's just, it, it's a really sweet spot where they have a tea and elixir lounge, what they call tea and elixir lounge. And they have couches and 
beautiful decorations and artwork and it's so cozy and they invite people to come and just be together it's really the the theme there and then they have great classes and teachers happening all week long and they have so many offers that i can't list them all everywhere like tonight there's breath work um, with two wonderfully amazing people um and uh they have they have music they also hold ecstatic dances i think on the second saturdays or something but don't quote me on that because i can't remember their schedule called synergy um they offer dance classes contact improvisation classes so that's a great place to explore ritual they they're very much in the in that space um of kind of a new paradigm of connection I really, really, really impressed. Um, at the youth annex in Sebastopol as well. I mean, I, I know Sebastopol because they live here, um, <laughs> but they also do a lot of events at the youth annex. Um, you know, you can look that up online. So I'd say use Facebook and the internet and type in the things that interest you and see what comes up. Because I'm sure you'll find an event near you, and it's there's nothing better than doing these things in person. Yes, well, we're trying to bring some of that up to the north here, up to Fort Bragg. We'll have the ecstatic dance next the Saturday, so I'm happy about that. That's so great. I'm so glad you're doing that. It's it's just what an awesome offering. Awesome, awesome, awesome offering. You can see what else we can start getting to go uh, up there. I wish it was a little bit closer. <laughs> it's two okay. and a half hours away. I, think. <laughs> I know it's it's there's a lot of distance. Well, it's a nice drive. <laughs> it is. It's a beautiful drive. Do we have yeah. color? We have as a long color, as you Alex. Hold on, Alex. Yes, uh, I'm from Fort Bragg, Carl. Uh, uh, a Saturday where? Okay. Get get while well, getting dizzy, rotating the wheel, the ripple effect. Can you repeat that question, Carl? Please. Hi, thank you. And we'll tell tell them more at the end of the show. Thank you, Carol. I think I heard him ask if it all of these things if they if it leads to higher thinking, and um, in my opinion, I think that if you can relax your rational analytical mind it does potentially give you access to a higher if we want to call it a higher thinking um you could uh, expanded consciousness thinking which you could consider so some people call it their higher self they feel like they're coming from their higher self which is kind of the idea i think of the their wise self Well, Alex, we're going to have to wrap up pretty soon here. It gets near 8 o'clock, and we have a closing song. And I would like to hear any closing comments you would like to make. Well, I want to thank you for giving me this opportunity to speak about this. I don't do that very often, so it's a new experience for me. Thank you for adding to my new experience bag. And um, I look forward to, to coming to one of your dances someday soon. I'm sorry I can't make it this Saturday. Okay, well, we look forward to having you here, too. Thank you. Okay. I guess we'll say goodbye now. Well said, Rich. 
Thanks so much, Alex. Have a very good night. Thank you, everybody. Have a wonderful evening. Okay. The dance that we're talking about here in Fort Bragg will be at the Seed Star Studio on Franklin Street. And I'm sorry, I don't know the number offhand, uh, the address. Look it up on the web, though. Sea Star Studio. It's on Franklin Street, between Chestnut and Safeway. And it'll be it's a drug and alcohol-free dance event. And Alex, thanks to Alex, I now know we should call Tarantula Free, too. And, uh... <laughs> But uh, we'll come together. Uh, oh, the idea is to bring bring something that'll be a community altar there. Bring something that symbolizes what you're dancing for that night. So there'll be a visual of what of our intentions and our, and our prayers as we dance. So please consider bringing something along those lines too. This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willitson Dukaya 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.